episode of The Artenders with Mac and Dan. I am Dan, he is Mac. What up? And today we are doing a lovely episode that it is a documentary that is a sequel to another documentary. Yeah. Which is a uh, it's a rare breed of sorts, uh, but we're glad to uh, be doing it. And for this documentary, we it is a uh, sequel to ESPN's 30 for 30 titled The You. Yeah, uh, directed absolutely. by Billy Corbin, and this one is titled "The You, Part 2. Uh, also directed by Billy Corbin. This one came out in 2014, and this also follows the University of Miami football team. But more, what it's actually about is um, it doesn't cover necessarily the years that the first part covered. Um, this one actually covers more so like 1995 to. 2014 you know it's post howard schnell wow i butchered that one oh, howard no. schnellenberger <laughs> <Good luck, man. laughs> oh no uh jimmy johnson and dennis erickson and then it goes into butch davis and larry coker and then oh, randy shannon and, and and al golden a little bit and then uh, a lovely human being named uh, nevin shapiro as well and mm. and it goes into like the football teams like during that area but then eventually just mostly becomes about nevin shapiro so in essence it's like it starts out as being about the football team and then sort of in the last act quote unquote of the documentary it becomes about what surrounded uh the football team but um mac i, I want to ask you right off of the bat and i'm and i think we're going to do this pretty continually throughout the night uh you know comparing the Mm -hmm. two documentaries the the first part which was a sensational hit and we wouldn't have the second part if it were not for the first part, true right um but i'm i'm curious about your thoughts on how does part two compare to the first the you Uh i I, well i want to start this off with uh mentioning that because i mean why would we have a podcast if not to um, partially plug our own stuff? I just wanted to let the audience know that I went to see you in a performance oh. uh, this past week oh, at wow. Catherine Dallas. We're, we're, um, we're dating this one. Oh, well, look. I, I just wanted to make it very clear that you did a fantastic job. Thanks. And it was it was a really lovely time. I just, I just wanted to get that out there. And congrats to uh, you to being cast at this past week that was a big deal thank you oh Absolutely. wait that's not supposed to be public i'll bleep that out <laughs> or at least oh, at the, oh, <laughs> oh my god stop. everybody everybody hold on hold on i well, genuinely wait, did not I even did, consider i forgot that. well i forgot to mention <laughs> i didn't think that we would get into this podcast and then uh that's oh, so Christ. good well okay but at the oh, time of this recording that out, that's gonna be so funny okay. oh jesus H-words. what a perfect little time capsule that's, that will be that, so oh, okay Want to start it off with that? Thanks. Of course. Now, uh, getting into the uh, to into the review the, to the meat of this, yeah, yeah into yeah. the meat of it. Uh, this part two was I I didn't enjoy nearly as much as part one. Oh, um, oh, oh, hot take. Well, I mean, no, that's not a hot take. Okay, because I think that's totally fair, and I feel like that's a consensus of most. But you're people. just curious why, and I think. I we're gonna we're gonna get back to you, but yeah. I, I think a big reason why a lot of people like the first part was the nostalgia of it. While for me, the second part actually has a lot more nostalgia for yeah. me, considering the age that I'm at. Um, and I also uh-huh. find sort of like interpolitical workings and manipulation to be really really interesting in documentary form as opposed to um, here and there sports retelling. Yeah, you know, but but that's just 
me that's just my two cents so but please continue yeah on I, I i would agree i remember a couple more things from the from part two because you know we were live then and we yeah. were able to consume it but like I'm sure you have a much better understanding or a much better memory of a lot of these things than I do because I, I just wasn't. I'm sure if they made the exact same thing but for, like, UT or something, then I, I would know a shit ton about it. But right. I just don't know as much about Miami. Um, But part one was a lot easier for me to to grab onto because there was a little bit of just general 80, 80s nostalgia. But also, um, it there was this awesome thing about both documentaries where yeah. it really poses the question, why does the University of Miami keep coming back as a powerhouse? Like, they have every reason to fail yeah. at all times. Yes. Everything yeah. is going against them constantly. The university sucks and and is is and, and does shitty things all the time. It's a pretty well-established university as, like, for education. But yes, in terms of, like, the athletic department, they are constantly failing the coaches and, and the players. Um they uh, are not the wealthiest by any stretch of the imagination. Most of their recruiting happens with uh, kids of, of low income and low training. Like, they just know very little about the sport. It's Everything is going against them. And in the first part, it was kind of this, like, uh, I don't know. They, they, they treated the University of Miami or, or the whole, well, like, Go Canes movement. Yes, but also, like... There's this like kind of magical force that just like yeah. got them there, right? Yeah. They they they, they talk constantly about like there was just there there was just this feeling in the locker room that you had to win, like there was no other option. Yeah. And, and it that was, was it's such it's such a lightning in a bottle, right place at right. the right time moment. But that, then they keep makes finding the lightning, yeah, at random points in history, yeah, when they have no right to. Um, <laughs> the uh. But part two, I think what was tough about part two for me is that it was interesting. Sure. Yeah, um, absolutely it was. But it it was a lot, I think, a lot less about football, this one. Yeah. Like th- there was plenty less football in, in this one than uh, yes. than in the first one. I'm and absolutely with you. I, I liked that in some ways, but in other ways it kind of bothered me because it it just it just kind of keeps playing on it. Yeah, and I think I think what it is too, maybe a little bit, is that the name is sort of a misnomer uh-huh. because the U from '95 to 2014 is not the U that we saw in the first part, right? right. And so to have it be under the same moniker is is like a funny sort of thing to examine yeah. because they're they're two very different beast if, that we if were you were to. to if you were to label uh like 80 what was it 80 i mean it's like late very very like 79 78 is when sure. i think howard schnellenberger took over if you were and to then, label like early 80s 78 yeah. to 94 something what would you label that era of miami i i mean i would probably i mean i would In probably work. label it as the u or i would probably label it as like like the bad boys era, you know. I, the, yeah, I, I, I was, I was kind of nudging you know? you towards the bad boys because I agree. Yeah, and I don't even mean that as like a disparagement. No, but it was just like it was a reputation. Well, it reminds that was you accumulated. of another very popular documentary about the bad boys of Detroit. Like they were. Oh, about the Detroit Pistons. Yeah. with Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, like yeah. they were recognized nationally for being badasses. Yeah. And also just like uh, violence and yeah, but I mean, but what, I mean, what was also like, or at least how I attribute like the big difference between 
something as simple as like the U during that time and the Pistons during that time is that like the U were kids and at the core they were kids having fun. Yeah. And it was kids going through shit, sure, but at its very, very core, it's just a bunch of guys who just want to have fun yeah. at the same time. Who like, of course, you know, dress up in in um army gear, you know, right. when they go face Penn State. But um but they're still at its core, like they want to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, like, and so that that bad boy's brush was largely also partially, largely also partially painted. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> painted onto them uh-huh. uh, by media outlets. Yeah. I, I, I hate to be like, oh, the media, but like it totally. Yes. It, it, that it shaped them, that yeah. perspective. But they embraced for it. For that era. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so they, because they embraced it, like they had their reputation. And so then in part two, like a bunch of the students at that time were trying to work against that reputation or work for that reputation. Mm-hmm. The, the, the big thing that would make a, uh, the bad boys era player scary to an opponent. I think this, this is how I'm distinguishing the two in my mind. The thing that would make them scary in that era is that they're so insane and crazy that you never know what's going to happen. On or off the field, they're like, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want, right? But whenever it comes to... True. Um, but whenever it comes to uh, like 98 and on, 95 and on, uh, for the U, U Part 2, it's more like they're scary, not because they're insane, but because... They're adult. Like, they're already... There was something about, like, having a higher discipline. Yeah. Right? I mean, it was mostly it was mostly Butch Davis, right? Yes. So, Butch Davis was the coach for the U from 95 to 2000. Didn't yeah. win a national championship with them. But sort of gave way to the culture and discipline that he created where people were terrified of Butch Davis. And, like, yeah. in a different way than, like, Jimmy Johnson, right? Because and Jimmy sucks, Johnson yeah. will kick your ass. Right, right. right? But, like, but Butch Davis, you're, you are... Jimmy Johnson does it because he loves you, and Butch yeah. Davis is... Does you're it just terrified. Of, yeah, exactly. yeah, you're terrified of Butch Davis because he expects the absolute yeah. freaking craziness and out of you. subsequently, you're scared of the players. Yeah. If you were not one of them, obviously. Yeah. Um, well, actually, even some of the players talked about being scared of each other. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. In the locker room, they were freaked out by each other. Which is like, I mean, and I think it's it's such great storytelling when when um, Billy Corbin like allows us to you know get that little bit of a sneak peek of like what it was like like in those yeah. locker rooms, right? Because for these documentaries, it's we know the outside looking in but it's such a treat to like see the sort of inside looking out i think that was better done in this documentary mm-hmm. as opposed to in the first part yeah i it didn't seem like there was a lot that we were necessarily learning in the first part mm-hmm. we were like oh that's right this team right it, it, i think it hit a lot more nostalgia as opposed to like this documentary felt like it was showing more of the underbelly of what was going on for, and I don't even mean that on uh, in, in bad ways in in some parts, but like what was going on for these players and 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 their psyches and and how they experienced that time in their lives, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like, I think that was a thing. I hit my microphone. God, Jesus. We still need to figure out a fine. You shouldn't have said that. Now the people know. Now oh, that we haven't figured it fine. Yeah, we still need. You to. made us look bad. No, no. But, but I mean, but but the point being, 
all all of that to say is that like Butch Davis gave way to a team that's a lot more disciplined, which kind of makes them a lot scarier. And so then it makes that I believe two thousand one team that won the national championship yeah. to be under Larry Coker to be like the most ferocious team of all time. Interesting uh, segue. Do you actually think that that team was the greatest football team? I don't college know. Football team well, okay. Cause, cause okay, fine. I will let you take a peek behind this curtain. That is Danny right now. I don't <laughs> care about college football. Uh-huh. I, I, I like, I, this is a completely different conversation behind the, like, the, the, uh, you know what? I'm, I don't care about college yeah. football terribly much, right? Yeah. And so do I think that's the best team to have ever played in college football? A, probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, Considering, once again, like, this documentary was made before, like, Nick Saban really made his uh, mark with Alabama. That was exactly what I was about to say. Um. And, I think it has to be one of those LMA right teams. and and but but it's also like I haven't seen enough college football sure. to like really assess whether or not that was like the best team. Now like the amount of like draft picks that came from that team record that setting. went straight straight to the NFL. Two thousand four like, was the record with six, six uh, first round draft uh, first round players from the University of Miami, which is ridiculous. unbelievable. Two thousand four. I mean, they won the championship. But, Shoot, can you look this up for yeah, me? Yeah, of course. Please? No, no, they, they had they had a bunch, but 2004 was the was the. I feel like this record is a, for the class. Gotcha. Okay. Um, class 2004. But but so then that team is ridiculously impressive. So then it also makes me curious of like how much we don't have a fondness for that era per se, because I guess that era was so short, and that was more so a lightning in the bottle as opposed to lightning in the bottle that lasted for well over a decade you know i i I think that's the big thing and um how we sort of like attribute to like these coaches legacies as opposed to like butch davis tried really hard to create this new culture for this team and then larry coker just came in and basically wasn't even a coach just was a chaperone and allowed these players to and trusted these players immensely, but then it also went to show that like it fell, it fell out under his watch, mm-hmm. and thus like then that sort of culture could not have been maintained. It, did you find some it information? Was, uh, yes, it was indeed um, 2004. Sean Taylor, Kellen Winslow, uh, Jonathan Vilma, Vince Wilfork, uh, DJ cow. Williams. Holy cow. But I want to go back to a um, a sort of like a previous thing, basically where this conversation had started, where you had said that this, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but this is less of a football documentary. Yeah. What What do you What do you think about that? And also, uh, in the same breath, is it possible for you to tell me how you thought it stacked up to the first? I mean, so like I said, I like this one more than the first part, uh, just because of your connection to it. I think it's partially because of my connection to it. Like there, I mean, like even though I don't care much about college football, yeah. When you are a sports fan of, excuse me, fan of a sports fan, yeah, man, <laughs> of a certain city, then naturally, like college sports are going to like bleed into like whatever you hear and yeah. stuff like that. So I remember that first press conference for Al Golden, which was like really. 
yeah, when when the U got him from Temple. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I remember it like it was yesterday because I remember my family not caring much about Randy Shannon because his team didn't perform that well, and because because the, the documentary documentary hardly talks about how like mediocre Randy Shannon's coaching career was. Yeah, it was mostly like he was a good hire, and then it started talking about Nevin Shapiro, but then we find out in the do- documentary that Randy Shannon was almost five hundred. Uh, meaning very close to equal number of wins and losses to one another. Yeah. So then when Al Golden was hired, I remember that there's nothing like a coach's first press conference because we put so much water in that bucket. And why? Why do we do that? It's not like that first press conference is going to do anything for that team. Yeah. It's no sort of mirror to what the coaches actually do. However, with that being said, oh my God, Mac, everybody was so excited for Al Golden's first press conference. Everybody loved that first press conference because he was like, of course I'm here. It's the University of Miami. Yeah. He was like, no shit, Sherlock. Didn't matter because Al Golden was awful. Not awful. I think he was meh. Uh, and so mm-hmm. it was just like, it was just one of those things. But with that being said, even though there was a bit of a nostalgia, like I said, I like seeing more like political workings and just like, how deep rabbit holes go i think that always breeds beautiful documentary stuff like with something like wild wild country it was six episodes i believe it was six of just spiraling down a rabbit hole Mm -hmm. right and so when you have the first part be largely retelling of events with a slightly different perspective because now you're getting more of the perspective of the people who you know were in it actively and then two-thirds of this documentary as well for the people who were actively in those teams and in those situations. Yeah. And then in the third act, when they talk about Nevin Shapiro, who was a booster, a significant booster oh, yeah. for the University of Miami, and then showing how deep that rabbit hole was for him and how deep his tendrils was for many of the players and administration at the University of Miami and then how the NCAA screwed up that investigation, that is fascinating to me. Yeah. And so partially, I think there's a part of me, I like this documentary, I like the part two more for what seems like all the wrong reasons. Because then, <laughs> yeah, because, because then when it gets to Nevin Shapiro, it isn't necessarily about the U anymore, right? Yeah. It made me wanting a documentary about Nevin Shapiro, yeah. right? I was less interested in a documentary about the U. And it was very clear that it was like at, after – it's a very good story, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But after a certain period of time, once Larry Coker starts losing and everything sort of falls apart, the U isn't the U anymore. It's just the University of Miami Hurricanes. Yeah. They aren't the U, you know? Yeah. Like, they crafted that during the 80s. That They did not maintain that during the early 2000s. And so when you're going to make a sequel to a very successful 30 for 30 documentary and you're still going to have it be about the University of Miami... And you have this ginormous, one of the largest, if not the largest college football scandal sitting right in front of you. How could you not talk about that? You know, so I don't, I don't necessarily blame Billy Corbin using that information as an opportunity to discuss it. But then it became, this isn't necessarily 
the U anymore. I think, I mean, it's it's kind of silly that I'm harping on this, but I feel like this documentary then should have been titled The U Part 2 colon some sort of subtitle, right? Yeah. Or like The After Years or just like something like that, right? Because it's like... It, it was marketed Because what it was, I mean, what it, I mean, because it had to be marketed as The U Part 2. Yeah. The big reason why we watched this is it was because it was called The U Part 2. Right. But it's so much of it is just living in the shadow. Even the documentary, in a way, is sort of living in the shadow of the first one. Of its one. own, right. You know? E- doubly so, I think the worst parts of this documentary is when it's basically redoing stuff that it's already done in the first part. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, it's like the, all the like the hip-hop nature of it, and then even ending the documentary on the destruction of the Orange Bowl. That's the exact thing that the first documentary ended on. Yeah. And I think what would have been interesting is that this documentary was living in the shadow of the first one, right? Yeah. I wish it leaned into more being in that shadow. What does that mean? I think Billy Corbin should have brought in more people from the first part oh. to talk about the University of Miami after become. their time, right? Yeah. Because, it, and I'm not saying like, oh, remove anybody from from that you interviewed like no no no. i thought like jonathan vilma was great i thought randy phillips was fascinating yeah i want to be in a room with randy phillips and just get to know him entirely because his pov was magical for that documentary and how we felt about nevin shapiro and the university of miami yeah but then what i really wanted to get was how did the original you how do they feel about the university of miami that came after that well also it it tells you a lot about Billy Corbin uh, and, and his perspective and his experience, the differences between part one and part two. Yeah. Because it, um, this is a very important thing to, to take into consideration. Uh, Billy Corbin's first year, because he went to the University of Miami. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and his, bo- I mean, born and raised, yeah. Yeah, like he... Yeah, and he's clearly a Miami nut. And at first he was, went to the same high school that we... I mean, we know people that went to that high school. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was uh, there ninety six, um, and although obviously up until two thousand or whatever, and uh, and so it's very clear that there is this kind of childishness and playfulness in the first one because, like Billy Corbin is making a documentary about all of his childhood heroes. You know what I mean? You, you yeah. Oh, I haven't even thought about that. Like it's yeah, very like the way he, especially yeah. the way he edits, yeah. and the and 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 the way that oh, he, there, there's a certain level of like cheerful corniness to yeah, it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, and and it looks magical. It doesn't look realistic. Yeah. Um, the first one, and he does not take any of. Well, it's 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 this weird line where he simultaneously takes it very seriously and at the same time doesn't take it seriously at all. Right. You know, right. where it's well, just like yeah. these are just kids having fun. Yeah. You know, he he takes it seriously in the same way that. The Lord of the Rings takes itself seriously. Like, you, like you're inv- emotionally invested in in Frodo right. Baggins, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's there's also bad. this separation of like, but Frodo Baggins is this like you know, fictional character almost. That yeah. there there's that 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 thing happening simultaneously. Whereas, of course, it is part two is much more stone cold and chilling and adult because partially Billy Corbin was experiencing all those things as he was. Because he was kind of part of it in a way. Yeah. Like he knew people that knew people that that uh, were part of the um, – oh, for, forgive me, uh, Milton Barnes. 
I'll look it up. I don't know what I'm looking up, but I'll look stuff up for you. Um, the the the, the kid that was murdered. Oh my God. Okay, let me let me get let me get that name because I I'm Mild. Uh, oh my God! Stop guessing. Stop yeah, guessing. Know. I'll look it up. I'm so close though. Um, I don't think you are, but but, hey, um, <laughs> but your point being. Uh, but my point being that I I think that we actually learn a lot more about. Uh, are you talking about Brian Pata? No, no, that was oh recent, that was more recent. Okay, no, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. I'm talking about like in ninety. All right, I'm working on it again. Ninety-five. All right. Um, keep going. Uh, but yeah, no. Th- th- so I think that you're actually learning more about Billy Corbin throughout all of this than you are about the the, the actual of events that took place, whatever. But I will say that Billy Corbin does a pretty smart thing in at least being aware of the fact that the most important part or the most entertaining part of the that post Bad Boys era. Um, Miami Hurricane uh, lore is not the football. It is mainly the this the scandals. And I actually yeah. found m- most interesting the uh, the Pell Grant scandal. That was that was wild to me. Um, For a lot of the people that were part of like the U, yeah, it was yeah. it was only like briefly touched on. Wait, but that that was one of them that I was like, I'm sorry, wait, what was that? But the more I looked into it, the, the more that was insane. But also, uh, something that I that I would like to uh, mention: Marlon Barnes. That took me a minute. Marlon Barnes. Sorry that it took me no, so okay. long. It Marlon. Took, I for That's I mean Melvin, for those right? viewing, you saw me just on the phone for like two and a half minutes, which no. in podcast a century. It's gen- <laughs> so for us, an episode is a couple millennia, right? Yeah, um, essentially. Right. The. Uh, but you said Marlon Barnes. Marlon Barnes. Marlon Barnes. Sorry yeah. for just derailing. No, no, no. no. But like Billy Donovan there. was. Close Billy Donovan. To that. <laughs> Billy, Billy Donovan. Donovan. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was gonna do that. I kept having to tell myself to not say fucking Billy Donovan. I oh, kept. Billy Donovan. I Billy Donovan. I think is a coach for another. Uh, I'll work on it. I got it. I um, got it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's a basketball coach. It's a fucking basketball coach. Billy Donovan? Yes, yeah. He's head coach the of the Bulls? Yeah. Oh, oh, my God, what? That's what I was thinking of, sorry. Billy Corbin. He is the current head coach of the Bulls. Yes, yes, that's Billy true. Donovan. He was recently hired, yeah. Yeah, this year? Yeah. The Bulls, the Bulls are doing well. What, what were we talking about? I was talking about Billy Barnes. Corbin. Yeah. Um, but uh, more, more importantly, I, I did want scandal. to... Um, uh, yeah, and the Pelgrin scandal, but but he was experiencing all these things firsthand. So whenever we hear about uh, Marlon Barnes, whenever we hear about the Pelgrin scandal, like he he was there. So obviously he's going to uh, be a little more serious about it because it wasn't this fantastic fictional thing. It was like kind of serious and shitty. Um, and so we get a kind of serious and shitty vibe from it in in the and in, in, in the part two. But there is something I would really really like to touch on uh-huh. um, that I would like to uh, dive into, and it, and, it, and it revolves around a question. That I will post to you, Daniel uh, Lavelle, after a word from our sponsors. And we're back. <laughs> Every time I have to, right? It was just you gave me like this, <laughs> your, this your eyes were dead. Your eyes were dead, and then you became a personified. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, um, personified as if I'm not a person. Correct. I'm an inanimate object. If yeah. Inanimate, well, I'm dead. An object. Dead. You killed me. No. Oh, okay. You're um, just dead. Okay, okay, okay. To me. Uh, so I wanted to launch into this one with <laughs> saying, first of all, uh, and I am going to date this episode real quick. Uh, um, again? Uh, yet again. <laughs> but I think it's an interesting date uh, because as of two days ago, 
the athletic director of the actual University of Miami. Thank you. Holy shit. Oh my god. No, fired. I forgot to look this up. No, did he he was he was fired? He was fired. Blake James is his name. Blake James. Blake James was fired yeah. from the University of Miami. He deal. he has been athletic director. I don't know for how long, but eight at years. least a decade. Oh, eight years? Yeah. Okay. Less than I no, thought. He, he's been at Miami for more than a decade, but he okay, has gotcha. been the athletic director for eight years. That thank you for bringing that up. Completely, yeah. I wrote that down. Shit. No, no, no. It's huge. Okay. I, and, yeah. and and it's also I I also want to mention as well. Damn it, I'm not prepared for that. Ugh! No, you're good. But uh, it's also worth mentioning that like in 2017, I yeah. believe after Al Golden was fired, they brought in this guy named Mark Richt to be the head coach. There was one year that the University of Miami did really really well. And then Mark Richt retired after that because he was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Then uh, Manny Diaz has become head coach. He's still the head coach, and he has been uh, pretty average ever since. He is he is on the cusp of being fired. Uh, um, yes, very close. It's, it's been rumored for a while, two weeks yeah. ago. Um, he lost to Butch Davis's FIU. That, that is isn't that sad. funny? That it's is the same Butch Davis. Holy shit. That well, coached the University of Miami, left to coach the Cleveland Browns. Has coached for the past four years and is no longer the head coach. The Florida International University. That's insane. The, uh, used to be called the Golden Panthers. Now I think they're just called the Panthers. Yeah. Uh, um, Manny Diaz lost to that team. The First of all, fucking hilarious. Second of all, did you know uh, what team Miami lost to that led to uh, Blake James's firing? Uh, I uh, that's a, I take I a mean, wild guess. Any of them was it? Was it Pitt? Was it Notre Dame? Was no, it? No, uh, it was the main. North rival. Carolina. Oh uh, no, Clemson. Florida State. Whoops. The Seminoles. Yeah, that they um they lost to Florida State and then Blake James out of here and then uh, two days ago. Yeah, two days ago and then Manny Diaz um is is pretty pretty much gonna be fired and I th- and I think he knows like he's been asked Manny Diaz has been asked several times by the media. Okay, so do you have any sort of feelings about it? How do you feel? Like, do you, do you think that uh, you're going to be fired anytime soon? How does that uh, look like it's going to play out? And Manny Diaz has just responded with, "Well, you know, we're just focusing on the next game," which basically means um, that's hell just coach fired. speak. <laughs> yeah. that, well, that's coach speak yeah. for like, "A, I can't comment on this," and B, I don't really want to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oh, there's there's nothing like football coach speak. It's oh, so useless. Right, right, it's right. It's amazing. But also telling. I just oh goodness gracious. And well, it's, it's telling how useless it is. Well, it also kind of leads me to um. I don't know if I ever talked about this on the podcast. I don't think I have, but I have said this several times in real life because real life, like this, isn't real life. Um, I I've said this a lot outside of the podcast because it's the truth. Because uh, I I really do believe this to my core. My favorite sport to Enter to, to to entertain me to consume is basketball, right? And my very specific reason for that is because I can see their faces and the stakes are high. Meaning there's only five players, whereas in football there's eleven, obviously, and, yeah. the, and the stakes are a little lower for each player, except for I guess the quarterback, you could say. Yeah. Um, but in basketball, each player has a lot more resting on their shoulders. First of all, and second of all, uh, they, um. You can see their faces, so you can see how they're feeling about whatever it is they're yeah, doing, yeah, yeah. which is awesome and, and fascinating. Everything is a lot more raw, and you know what they're saying to each other. It's awesome, um, and 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 so it's it's not necessarily the actual sport. I love the sport, but it's not necessarily just the sport that gets me. It is the way that you play the sport, and the sport is a very emotional and personal sport. All right, um, where is it? Where is this going? Where are we going? I'm going back to. 
that is why I think this uh, specific documentary does such a good job or, uh-huh. or where it specifically succeeds is that the fact that it's less about football makes uh, it, allows it to be more personal, allows okay. it to be more uh, 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 dramatized. Okay, so th- so then let's let's talk about it in comparison to the first part. So then did you find the first part to be less personal? Um, I think that it was personal in terms, in, in the same way that The Last Dance was, and that mm. it was like, are they going to win? Oh, they do. Because uh, I... Even I already it's just, know they, it's, re, it's retelling yeah, history. I already know they do. I already know they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's that that's really as personal as it gets. Whereas whenever you get into some of the scandals in the second one, well, yeah, it's just you're like a person did that. I did not think we would learn about. I forgot his name, but I remember his nickname, Pee Wee, uh, the equipment guy. I did not think that we would learn about the equipment guy when I started this documentary. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. something as like simple as that, and but like. There was something very different about. I, I'm going to use Randy Phillips again, because oh, Randy Phillips was in between the two parts the best get in terms of somebody that could speak on this documentary. And why'd you feel that way? Because the amount of POV that he had was so crystal clear. Was it and just he, like he was right place, right time? He was time? not mincing words. Or there it is. Okay. He was not mincing any words when, and so it specifically, and I think like. It speaks to the larger conversation. It's something that we talked about when we looked at the first part uh, for the U, where we were talking about these are student athletes that what they are being paid in essentially is books, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't, they're not monetarily supported per se, right? And they don't have the time to feed themselves essentially these diets that they need to perform really well. And so. When you put those students in those position, in those positions, and then you have <laughs> this five-five guy um, who's just so obnoxious, yeah, <laughs> and is like, "Hey, I have a bunch of money. You want it? Why would anybody in that in those kids' positions say, say no? no? Absolutely. Why would they? And so, like, Randy Phillips doubles down. Is like, did I do something wrong? I mean, doesn't I mean? Whatever, like he doesn't care about yeah. that. Like, obviously, he's gonna rub up to the guy who's giving him money because he has to support himself. He has to support his kid that he that he has. Like, he has to support the life surrounding him. He has to give himself the best opportunity. That if somebody is just going to give him money, why is he going to ask twice about where that money is coming from? You know, and so then it speaks to the larger question of just like how difficult it is to be a student athlete. It's one of, if not the hardest thing anybody could do in college yeah you know not only trying to focus on academics because that's important and we put a lot of value in that but it's also like you have to perform really well and you have to be the best you possibly can be but in order for them to really be the best yeah. that they possibly can be is for them to not go to classes yeah which is also makes it doubly impressive that butch davis was able to turn the program around and uh succeed so heavily and make one of the best uh, cultural teams of all time, yeah. considering his hands were tied behind his back by um, by administration. Yeah, yeah, by the fact that he could not offer as many yeah. scholarships as, as as he would like yes. to kids that clearly deserve yeah. them because of the scandals and because of the administration. Yeah, like the, the Pell Grants, like it's yeah. so many different scandals that's like a rolodex. Yeah, you know that just that's just cycling through 
for that university and they just like for some of those guys they just had to play the hands that they were dealt mm-hmm. you know but 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 back to Brandy Phillips where he was just so honest about everything and there was some so much like raw emotion and there was but, but raw emotion in the sense of not mincing words and it's also like I have this POV and nobody can tell me that I'm wrong for having this POV yeah and that's what made him so special to like watch right and so i i think i think what was i mean i i guess i was really fascinated by like that sort of counter pov of like how messy nevin shapiro was how just disgusting he was and to have randy phillips be like yeah i don't give a shit he gave me money why am i going to feel any semblance of regret about that and i actually kind of wish there were more voices in this documentary that like gave way to more nuance you know yeah oh yeah as opposed to just like story i I guess like storytelling right i guess what made me really impressed about wild wild country was the amount of nuance that it had interspliced with the storytelling yeah right where we had people who were deeply involved and now feel different ways about it right yeah while we have here in both parts people who are deeply involved and most of them only have positive things yeah. to say about it yeah it's it's they're they're pretty crystal clear yeah. about all like that. it would have been great if like billy corbin got like bobby bowden you know who was yeah. who was coach for uh fsu to what felt like a millennia yeah uh may he rest in peace yes i took the gamble i hope hopefully i didn't kill bobby bowden all right now yeah, um that was... did you do, was there a phone vibrating what's what's going on here maybe you, it looks like you have like it, a like yeah. a roach like bit your butt like what's no, what's going no, on I, here my, my phone was shaking vibrating. and grooving yeah no I, I i i don't want to admit it but it's it's true it, it... but like and like even like i kind of wish he got like nevin shapiro even though nevin shapiro is i think still currently in jail um but, but just people who go against the University of Miami. People who don't agree with whatever the University of Miami represents, right? The fact that it was so pro the U is fine, and that's the story that he wanted to tell, but I'm always so much more fascinated in, like, how does this story run counter to other people? And so then it allows the viewer to... Understanding, understand it in their own prism, right? Right. As opposed to being spoon fed, this is how you should feel about this story. Yeah. I think I think that's so critical, and that's what can make documentaries feel all the more special. I think it was better in this part, largely because of Randy Phillips. Yeah. And I think that's part of where not disappointment, but it was just like, oh, this isn't as good as I remember it in the first part. It was so pro University of Miami. There was no room for any other thought or opinion about that team. Right. That even though the media, like, I don't agree with how the media painted those teams, I would have still liked to hear people who opposed it talk about it nowadays. Yeah. Like Deion Sanders, for example. Yeah, true. You know, just, been, just like people like too. that, He's right? Fun. Yeah, like yeah, I, I, I just, get. I wanted more layers. I wanted more complexity. I wanted more character uh-huh. to these documentaries as opposed to like oh we have greg olson for two minutes and he said a bunch of expletives on a rap song uh, on the seventh right. floor which is hilarious and i'm happy that they said that but yeah, but then olson. but then there was also like oh but i'm not 
I'm I'm not learning any shades because I'm I'm being I'm being shown and I I don't think my opinion would change. I'm being shown hey, this is funny and it is kind of funny and I I still think I would think that it's funny. Mm-hmm. But I'm not being informed by anybody else that this may not be as funny as I think it is. You know, I'm not being challenged on my beliefs. I'm being told one thing and that one thing is not being challenged by any vicinity while while wild country what made that and it's very different in that capacity, but what made that so successful for me emotionally was all these different ideals running counter completely to one another. Yeah. Which which made me fascinated. The uh the other big part I think that is is important to take into into consideration is that in the first part of the U, uh, we cover a span of time in which Miami wins four championships. Yeah. Uh, 83, 87, 89, 91. And in the second part, we span time where they win one. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's almost like, <laughs> we're, just, we're just so, but I mean, <laughs> it's a funny, dis- not disingenuous, but it's a funny stat because, like, they also spend time where they should have won one. Right. And then they also spend time where they should have gone to one. Right. And, and so it, it felt less like um, the downfall of Miami and more like we won 2001 and then here's some excuses why we didn't again. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. which was annoying. I it think. was less about the downfall. It was more of like, we're still here. We're clawing. Right. We're just, we're clawing, so, trying to get back to the U. Not right. necessarily downfall, but they're certainly less than what they were before. On that, on that train though. Yeah. Uh, I do really actually think that there is something very specific and special about, uh, the university of Miami. I, I, I have been, uh, able to drink the Kool-Aid since. Not in terms Whoa. of me being a fan, oh. but just in terms of I yeah. really do believe that there's something about it. Go Canes. I mean, look. I actually have a small conspiracy theory behind that. Oh. Um, it is fishy to me that the cooking capital of the world, or of the U.S. at least, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. is Miami. Sure. And uh, what is the what, what do the fans say? Go Canes. Oh. Weird, isn't it? Isn't it kind of weird? I said it out loud the other day, and I was like, "Did I just say cocaine?" Um. Anyway, sorry. Um. I'm sure people made those jokes. A reckless speculation. I'm sure. Fifty years ago, yeah. Oh, I hope they did. Uh, or less than rather, but math. Right. Math is hot. So here's the big question that I have for you: What? What's in the water, man? What's in the water? What is it about the University of Miami that partially makes want makes people want to keep watching? But also, that is that has given them the ability to succeed against odds for a really, really long time. Because um, it's clearly not money. It's 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 not reputation. I'm going to quote Billy Corbin here. This is a quote that he uses a lot nowadays and I think it's I think it's a funny one to use in this example. It doesn't necessarily answer the question, but I think it gets us on track. The Miami of today is the America of tomorrow. That's <laughs> Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Do you mean like interesting? Like we're on a sharp decline? I mean, I mean, but like <laughs> 
That's mean. I'm kidding. <laughs> the rest of the U.S. is going to drown? Is that what oh, you're yeah, telling totally. me? Um, But it's like it's sort of like how the recruiting process and sort of the the deep-rooted like growth mm. of culture then like gave more and more way to like other schools, I, I would say. I mean, it doesn't – I mean, I'm not directly – answering that question about what's in the water in miami i, th- it's, well, I, I think partially what's in the water people just want to be there you know i mean like yeah i like there's something to be said more so i feel like in my mind about schools like oklahoma or you know or i guess oklahoma or like Ole Miss, right yeah. um where they're able to keep this sort of like national relevance and um reverency or notre dame you know uh, just throughout so many years, and they have this like legacy that's always preceding them, and they're they're in places that are, and I don't think I'm being too harsh here, that are just less interesting than Miami because yeah. Miami is the weirdest place ever. Uh, but it's also the it's 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 a it's a party town. It's a the entire town is boosting with tourism and nightlife and yeah and cocaine nature of it you know so like there i think part of it is like people want to be in miami it all started with that lightning in the bottle right it all started with the realization wait there are a lot of great players from florida why don't we just focus our recruiting in florida yeah and then once they had like started that legacy people want to be a part of that legacy you know what i'm saying like I mean, sure, Notre Dame is not the same team. I mean, they're doing well this year, I think, but they're not necessarily the same team as they were many, many years ago. But people still think about them in that reverency. People still think about the University of Miami in that reverency. People still think about Ole Miss, uh, OU, USC even, True. perhaps. People still think about those schools in Vince that. Young, right? Uh, uh, Vince UT. Young was UT. UT is a great example, yeah. actually. Um they think about these schools in this like mythical sort of way, you know, so that once Mark they, Sanchez, that's what I was thinking of. Sorry. Go ahead. Yes. There we go. Mark Sanchez did go to USC as well as Reggie Bush, I think, uh, who got his Heisman taken away. Completely different story. Sorry. sorry that, no, what a, I, what a derailment. I'm so sorry. I just, I, I had to, it was going to drive me crazy. But once that legacy is like planted people, we don't necessarily forget yeah. about them. And so then, People are really going to remember, really going to remember if Alabama ever falls apart. Holy cow. Like, it, I mean, it's it's akin to the Lakers and to the Celtics of yeah. many, many years past. People still talk about Magic Johnson and Larry Bird on, yeah. on those respective but teams. But also, no matter how bad, because well, I mean, we know the Boston Celtics and yeah. the Lakers. And the Yankees, too. Have, you know? And the Yankees. Well, mm, but it's, but it's the, the legacies. That, it's the yes. legacies that, like, precede them. That, like, you know? even, but I'm saying, like, even whenever the Celtics and the Lakers start to absolutely suck it doesn't really make much of a difference like their cultural impact like people still think of the lakers and the celtics as some of the best teams in the nba even when they're at the bottom of the standings um because of their because of the legacy that precedes them it's like oh the lakers are doing poorly or something like that right like the lakers are one of the worst teams but lebron decides that that's going to be his team that he is going to build from the ground up yeah and it's because of the legacy. It's and it's because, because of the of legacy. The it's because mean. of the location. Yeah. Like, LeBron was never... I mean, let's just say the exact Lakers organization was in Minnesota Timberwolves. He was never going to go to the no. Minnesota Timberwolves. Like, it's... It, but it's just like... It's yeah. a bunch of different factors that culminate into one. Hence why, 
University of Miami being that lightning in the bottle and sort of mm. retaining that lightning and People containing like it troop. here and there. It has dissipated significantly the, since then. I would not consider the University of Miami the U anymore. Agreed. But but that is such a big part to it. And I think and I think the documentary paints that a little bit. Uh-huh. That like but but not enough. Not in, enough in the way that I wish it did that they were working against the legacy that has been built for them. But I don't think the documentary touched enough on that. Like I wish because the documentary was simply just about that timeline as opposed to being about one specific thing. Like, the documentary could have just been about Nevin Shapiro. Could have just been about that one call against um, against the University of Miami when they played the Buckeyes in the national championship. Yeah. It could have just been about, like, the. I mean, it, it just could have been about so many smaller things. But it, since it decided... It wanted to be a sort of like timeline of events. It never stuck its ground into sort of one POV or one like story you wanted to tell. The story of it was the years throughout it, but there was no singular story mm-hmm. that it chose to tell. It tried to tell all the stories pretty succinctly. And so like, I mean, I, I, I we both forgot his name, so excuse me for doing it, but when you had somebody that was like murdered and that was a significant part to the team and that only spent three minutes in the documentary of Marlon Brian of uh, not Marlon Barnes. Oh, oh, Brian oh, Pata. They yeah, talk Brian about Pata. Brian Wolf Mac. Wolf Sorry, I thought yet whenever you said someone that had been murdered. I know I you you yeah, brought up Marlon Barnes earlier, but they talked about Brian, Brian Pata yeah. in this documentary. But I mean but but you know what? It goes to show, right? Yeah. That this is such a large part in their lives and we yeah. spent I'm not necessarily blaming Billy Corbin on it per se, but that yeah. is that is what you come across when you do a whole timeline of events where things that deserved more time didn't get more time. We spent not even five minutes on Brian Pata, and I wanted so much more. I have no idea who Brian Pata is. I just know that he was murdered, and in effect, the other players yeah. there and the coach yeah. and the coaching staff. Well, also that both of those happened like on campus. Um, or or like it was at his apart, like it was at his home, Brian Pata. Brian Pata? Yes. What's after practice? Well, it was after practice. Sorry, I I understood on campus. Uh-huh. Sorry, I thought that's what you said. Oh, I that, well, that was it was not on oh, campus. Oh, oh, it was at, oh okay. It was oh okay. Trust. I mean, if it was on campus, I feel like this would be a very different story. That's and that, that's what I thought. That that's why I was reacting yeah. so heavily. I thought that it was on campus because I saw after practice. No, no, no. It was, it was, it was like at, his, at his home. Yeah, okay, directly okay. after practice. Um, another thing I, that, that I wonder if it has anything to do with it is the the kind of underdog effect, right? Yeah. That no matter how much Miami wins, you always think of them for some reason as this underdog that must defy the odds. That like I've, I've been talking about this that, that this entire time, but uh, I think that actually does kind of work out in their favor that yeah. people like the underdog people want captain america to win they they want uh peter parker to to turn into spider-man and win because peter parker spider-man oh was this a joke because peter parker jesus wait you didn't even get my joke i i well i got paranoid because i was I thought that you were saying that that wasn't his name in real life. Oh, like, oh. The, yeah, I thought you were about to find me. I thought um, you were impeccably letting that joke sit. No, no, I was. I was thinking in my mind, 
that's his fucking name, right? I think it is. Like, I'm what... No, no, no. This is what I thought. Am I willing to go at bat for this? And then I said, yes. And then I doubled down. Peter Parker is his name, right? It is. Sorry. We root for the underdog. It's always immensely more exciting than rooting for Alabama every yeah, single year. Absolutely. And um, no matter how many times Miami wins, it still yeah. feels like you're rooting for the underdog. But I don't think Miami is ever going to get away from that reputation that they built from the 80s, right? In so many people's minds, they're still going to be... You know the bad boys from the '80s. You know, yes, like but, people can respect them, but people aren't necessarily going to want to root for them because that's always going to be like that taste is always going to be in their mouths. Uh-huh. You know, well, I think it's a big thing to consider. Yeah, well, I, I I think it does go one of two ways though. That that, that there are people that are like, uh, the 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 '80s Miami to the U. And they were just so difficult to handle, and I just hated working like like having to see all of. Them all the time. But then there's also the people that are like, are they really going to do it? I think they are. Yeah. Damn, I hope they win. That'd be yeah. hilarious. Um, people that are like loosely ready to football that are like, they're fun to watch. I hope they actually end up doing something. Yeah. Um, but like you said, no matter what happens and no matter how bad or good they end up being, I, I mean, that, that, that is what has cemented them in, in, in their legacy. And, and yeah. everyone's always going to think of them as such. Um, but uh, as we as we start to very slowly drift into this last little uh, section of the podcast here, Danny, um, with which two is the two minute warning, warning. It's yeah, the freaking of two minute warning is the yes. thing. Um, what were your takeaways from this podcast? Uh, I think this? even though that this part was better, I think it had the opportunity to be fantastic, uh-huh. um, like even more so than the first part because it was working against the shadow of the first part. And I think it could have been done better in that regard, but because it sort of did stylistically too many of the same things, which was like do a timeline storytelling and even retell some bits in their own fashion, like um, with the destruction of the Orange Bowl is the best example. Um, I feel like this this documentary is both lesser and better than the first part. However, if you watch the first part, I do still recommend watching this part because I think... By itself, I still think it's great. Mac? Uh, I would say that the the first part of the U makes total sense to me as to why it was so popular and why so many people watched it. The part two, I understand why there was a little bit of a dip in um, pe- people that ended up tuning in to watch it because it. I, I, I agree that it wasn't – it just wasn't as entertaining and in-your-face entertaining as, as – uh, part one was, but it was still informative. I still learned a lot, which I mean, in terms of a documentary, I, I suppose it, it really did do its job, and I and yeah. I felt like I took a, a lot away from it. Yeah. Um, and I think I learned more in this one than I did in the first part. I agree, I agree. But I will say I had a better time in the first one than I did. This Fair one. enough. Um, so with the last thirty seconds here, uh, I'm going to give you what we are going to be watching from here on out. So, uh, we are diving into one of our very rare picks, uh, which is a TV series. It's on Netflix. Um, it is a German show. Do you have any guesses so far? No, I um, don't. It's, you're going to have to watch it in dub. Um, in dubbed? In dubbed, yes. Or I guess, uh, no, it's going to have to be in dubbed. And it is a TV show that is very difficult to explain. It's okay. called Dark. Good luck. <laughs> 